Okay, cool. I'm just because you know what happened last week. I had like some whipped cream at one of our shows. Got into the computer, but I don't think it fucked anything up. Because that's how we do. We threw some pies in people's faces. Welcome back to another episode of Makers Weekly. This is a very special episode as we sit down with my dear friend, comedian hailing from South Scottsdale, Michael Turner. We talk about discovering your passion and how you can turn that into your product or your career. We talk about the grit required to create something new and his most recently launched special project called This Week Sucks Tonight, coming to a city near you. So without further ado, let's welcome Michael Turner. Hey, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Beautiful to be here, Dan. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So this show will be a little bit different than some of the other episodes because you aren't necessarily a technology maker. However, you are working on a very interesting uh, creative project in your field. Uh, for those who don't know, you're a comedian. Uh, you reside in Scottsdale, Phoenix area. You become one of the shining stars there in the comedy scene. And you built you know, quite a good following and community around comedy in the area. Um, when I think of comedy... You know, I think of going and standing up on stage and just spitting jokes, and that's terrifying. Can you talk a little bit about how you got started and what made you want to be a stand-up comic? Yeah, so um, honestly, <clears throat> there's a level of um, confidence that comes with it, and it's almost like I always describe us as um, having a screw loose a little bit. Like it takes a crazy person to really think that they'd be good at it. <laughs> um, and you know, I mean, it's like, oh, you're a person that is so um, arrogant about your opinion that you want a room of people to sit quietly while there's a mic attached to an amp and a spotlight on you and everybody should shut up. Like that's how highly you think of your opinion. You know, it it takes a crazy person to to really get into it. And, uh, you know, that, that saying, right? Like people are always most terrified of public speaking. So, um, but I was, I never really shied away from it. And, um, I definitely always, thought I always remember, you know, from my early days, just always having this thought that I was the funniest person in any room I've ever been in. I don't know where that came from or whatever. Also, I think I, I really think I wasn't that wrong, (laughs) Uh, but, um, you know, any room that I was in, I knew I had, I just, I just knew I had humor that uh, a lot of people didn't. And, um, I made people laugh in different ways. I've always noticed that about myself. Um, in real ways, like cutting to the truth. I always enjoyed doing that. And so that was something that I did for 25 years of my life. I always just kind of had that perspective. And in my early 20s, the motivation really behind it was actually the idea of publicly speaking. I really enjoyed having an impact on people. And I had, um, you and I are from the same community, and there was an individual that passed away that was really close to me when I was 21 in Iraq. Uh, Brandon Hunter, and he was my best friend, and um, you know he ended up passing away. And I remember reaching out to his family immediately and asking if I could speak at the funeral. And um, that was something that I, I remember not even like thinking twice about it. Um, you die at 21. The people that really know you best aren't your family members. As weird as it is, it's usually your friends, your homies that kicked it with you throughout high school and stuff like that. And I thought that that was important to speak from that perspective. And I spoke at the funeral and um, I remember that feeling of like, I remember having the preacher laughing and crying and um, mm. and really moving people in a way that I had never 
um, known you could do and the power of, of really of public speaking. And no lie, after that, I, I wanted a lot of people came up to me after that, like, you should get into public speaking, motivational speaking, because um, it moved people in a good way. And I was very proud of how it turned out. And so fast forward a couple of years, that was always something in my mind, like speaking publicly and, you know, whether it be like a people nowadays would, be, you know, you'd reference Tony Robbins, Gary Vee, stuff like that. Like I actually thought about getting into that, but that's not my style. I mean, at the end of the day, I remember thinking I'm just a funny dude. Like why not? When I turned 25, I remember it was New Year's and I was like, I'm just going to try comedy. It was just something that was always in the back of my mind. And, um, but those things coincided that moment with speaking at that funeral definitely put me in a position where I wanted to speak publicly and wherever my outlet was, I found that, you know, it was three, four years later, actually, that I ended up trying to stand up for the first time. Um, and just having that connection was something that I seeked. And so I, I started doing it and I wasn't bad. And like right off the bat, I was decent. I mean, did you just start with like open mics in the area? Like, how did you, how did you actually do your first your first bit or your first routine. So at the, at that time in 2012, so I'm actually coming up on seven years right now. And, um, 2012, I just kind of, I remember Googling like open mic comedy in the area, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, this place was really close called stand up Scottsdale and I had one every Wednesday. And, um, it was a good spot to just kind of, you know, it was a spot where really an open mic is somewhere where they'll let anybody on, um, which, now that I've grown into a more established comic, um, that should never happen. Not everybody <laughs> should get on. But that's an open mic, though. That's how you get into it. And um, and so that was it. And I scouted it out. I went a couple weeks and, like, observed it. I'm always kind of one of those people that I don't want to look dumb, so I didn't want to go in blind. And I had a game plan. And, and I didn't. I actually started with my brother, John, and I both. Um, I think we both jumped on stage that first week or maybe, like, Within the first couple of weeks, we both were just like, let's do it. And so he he was supportive, too, in the early goings. Man, that's a great story. Um, it's wild how you you know that you know when you do something that you're supposed to be doing, it just feels natural and you get a natural energy from doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, you go out and you know, you're constantly seeking ways to, to find that energy again in something new. So it's, I think it's a pretty awesome story that, you know, one – you know, you recognized, you recognized that thing that you were supposed to be doing, um, you know, from speaking at your friend's funeral, but two, that you continued to pursue that and you found mm-hmm. it, you found an outlet that came very natural to you. Um, and it's interesting now, seven years later, you know, you're continuing to, to follow that path professionally. So let's, um, talking about that, let's move into, you know, all right. So you did your first open mic night. Sure. And what kind of feedback did you get or how did you know that you were, I mean, obviously you got laughs, but what were the next steps for you to continue to push this, to push this, uh, effort forward? Yeah. Early I got, <clears throat> I got laughs, but like, I remember, I don't, I don't think I have that recording anymore, but I've listened, I had listened to it after a few years of having been in stand up. It's on a Blackberry somewhere. Shout out to Blackberry. <laughs> Still the greatest phone of my life, uh, in that 2010 to 2012 era. But, um, and I remember listening to it and it really wasn't great. Like the, the laughs were very sporadic. It was very like dull, but the laughs were there, which went a long way. I remember. Um, and I just remember feeling really good about it. Like feeling this, this feeling of, um, 
something I've never experienced. Like I, I always tell people, like I've done a bunch of drugs in my life, but I've never felt the way that you feel when you really are killing a room. And, um, it's insane. It's, it's something you really can't describe <laughs> to people, but unless you've done it, but it's, it's a very profound feeling. And, uh, the way that drugs are, it's the same thing that you seek. You continue to seek that, that, um, you know, dopamine. Right. And, um, you know, so you kind of just get addicted to it. And I was good early on. I remember my feedback, a lot of people within my first, th- you know, three to four months, um, it was a different conversation. I could feel that they were like, when people give you feedback, sometimes it's like, good set, blah, blah, blah. But the way that they were connecting was like, that was dope. Like, that was like, um, that was cool what you were doing up there in a way that, I don't know, you know, when you get feedback, it's kind of hard to describe that. But when you get feedback, when you know it's different than the feedback that they've given anybody else that night. Yeah, no. I mean, I remember the first time I saw you, you know, one, I could connect with all the the old school WWF references. Sure. And then the, the, the bit you had about the beer and a shot guy. Um, yeah. I hope from I remember that bit for forever. And, and it's things like that, that like people still come up to me about that bit or other things that where I knew I was connecting on a way that you want to connect and stand up. And, um, a way that I always seeked a stand up comedian to connect with me was the way that I wanted to connect with other people. And, you know, there were silly jokes on the front end, right? Like I'm not still doing a lot of the stuff that I did in my first couple of years, but in the first couple of years, I knew I was, I was chipping away at something that, um, was good and, and was sincere and was authentic. It was a big thing that I wanted, uh, to, to reach. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think that's the, the key differentiator with, with comedians is there are guys that just get up there, tell jokes, punchlines, and then guys who really can, you know, can take you to a place in time and can connect uh, directly with you. Right. Um, so let's move into, you know, once you started getting more comfortable on the stage and you realized there was something there, um, you know, how did you start iterating on your performance? Like, how, what is your creative process to continue to generate new and fresh content and material for the stand-up? Um, and then maybe we can use that as a segue to get into some of the other platforms uh, like social media and, and YouTube. And you've got some shows. There's one particular we'll talk about. But like, what is that creative process like to continue to turn out uh, fresh content? So I usually, I was kind of unique. Um, people, everybody's different. And I, I always remember, I tell um, young comics all the time, like, figure out your process because your process isn't going to be the same as this process. Like, for example, if you read 10 books, a bio, uh, a biography about um, a comedian, every single book would be completely different. Like I've read George Carlin's books and Steve Martin's book, for example. You read that book and you, they talk about how they came up and how they figured everything out. Could completely different processes. And also you read those books and after you put it down, you're like, well, that would never work for me. That's not a process that's realistic because time changes, technology changes, the way that you connect with people completely changes. Pop culture references change. Mm. Um, and so it's always about trying to find your own process that truly works for you. You know, the level of authenticity you seek on stage, you need to be authentic to yourself and your creative process as well. And I really was good at taking big ideas um, and taking them to the stage. I had an end game that I wanted to get at, maybe a perspective that I wanted to hit on that I knew was unique. And um, I would be, I, I was good at getting up there and just taking a, taking an idea and kind of just like, 
flowing with it a little bit. So I never really wrote it down per se. Um, but that wouldn't mean to say that I didn't pre-think it, right? It wasn't like uh, something that I hadn't thought before, but mm-hmm. it maybe wasn't written on paper. And um, I would really do that. I would chisel that away. I remember going up, I would be like, all right, well, I'm going to hit this. Started on a Monday mic, hit Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I usually was able to do two mics. Thursday, I was able to hit a mic. And then by the weekend, I'd usually have a new joke because I hit it four or five times at different shows at open mics uh, to be able to kind of whittle down and the fat, so to speak. Um, so my process in stand-up specifically, um, you know, just writing those jokes, was really just attacking an idea on stage. And some comedians call it writing on stage. A lot of people do it. Um, and that kind of worked for me. And as I've aged, though, it really has gone back to writing, though. It's interesting how I did. I got away with that for a long time. And I could still probably get away with it. But um, I've found that my outlet now is a little bit more scripted. Um or easier to produce when it's written down. But that also coincides with some of the different shows that I'm doing now um, as well that needs to need to be written and need to be preconceived. How did you take the content that you used from the stage um, when you were doing your stand-up and move it into these new formats like uh, the digital, you know, the digital world? Now you're using social media uh, sure. to, to to project a lot of the content and like what, how do you think about social media as a strategy in general? Is it as important as the standup? Is that where you want to move to? What's your, what's your thought on the long game of the digital content side of things? Yeah. It's interesting as a comedian, you always have to be up on the newest thing too. I think when I got in, um, where I'm at too, in age, I'm 32. So that's the Facebook generation. Really? We were, um, I, th- I know you're around it's comparable age. And we got into it, like I just remember my freshman year of ASU was the first year that ArizonaState.edu had Facebook. So, like, that was that's huge um, in the end because my peers are all on Facebook still. There's still, um, you know, some of them maybe have moved off now, but, like, a lot of my fan base was on Facebook. So I remember early on. I always was conscious of – I was definitely watching the likes. Dude. I was definitely watching, like, if I was able to get a joke out – I wanted to get a joke once a week out. This was years into it. This is probably three, four years into it. After you get past the stand-up stuff, you do have to connect beyond just the stand-up comedy. You have to be aware of social media's reach, especially from a smaller market, especially when you're not in L.A., not in New York. How mm-hmm. do you, you can still reach the world from Phoenix or anywhere. Um, a lot of that has to do with um, the reach of social media. So uh, you got to be aware of that as a comic. And, um, I always wanted to have like once a week, I was like, I got to hit triple digit likes. It started with 50, <laughs> 50 used to be big, bro. 50 <laughs> likes, dude, that's a hitter right there. And, um, and so, and then also I was always conscious, like if we got like 50 likes, I'm like, I could probably take that idea to stage. Um, and then that, and then it got to a hundred likes and, um, that was all Facebook stuff. And you could tell a joke on Facebook, very comparable to how people utilize Twitter now. One thing I never got into is Twitter. I just couldn't, I missed the boat on that and I didn't know how to connect. I have bigger, I, I always say that I, I think it's because I have bigger ideas, um, that don't really translate to the 140, and I missed the boat on that. But Instagram has been something that has really been a positive because you can take ideas from stage or you can really flex a different muscle on Instagram to be able to portray a joke that wouldn't connect on stage. There's a lot of jokes that you sit on where you're like, that's funny as hell, but I can't say that joke on stage. It doesn't make sense. But you can portray that joke through video 
or, you know, sometimes photo, but typically I use video, um, to express jokes, um, and double them up as promo too a lot. Um, and so that's been, Instagram's really been the thing that I fell into really deep. I tried with Skype, but I think Skype got weird. Now, now Skype is just for dick pics and banging. Um, I think we all know that. <laughs> you mean, you mean Snapchat? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is, we're on Skype. Are yes. we, are we sending dick pics and banging? <laughs> I hope not. I thought that's what we were here for. <laughs> yes. hundred percent. Snapchat is just, I did do that for a little while, but it was such a weird growth. You couldn't really grow. You couldn't reach. If you were, if you weren't DJ Khaled, you couldn't grow it. I was just tapping into the social, into the people that I already knew. Whereas Instagram, you can really grow a little bit easier. So, so after you started moving the content off stage, uh, how did you come up to the with the concept of launching these shows? Because you've launched several different shows in your market. Um, you know, the one I want to talk about, which I think is your biggest one, is called "This Week Sucks Tonight." Just yeah, how did you go from ideating a show to to landing the venue, just to to moving that to a completely different format? So it all started. Uh with this venue in downtown Phoenix called Crescent Ballroom. And they, we tapped into them, um, to put on a show called literally the worst show ever. And that was the first time, excuse me, that that was the first time that, um, I had put my jokes together in a way that were visually presented in skits. And, you know, it's kind of like an SNL type show and stand up. And the success of that really took off. And, um, the owner of the venue, at one point wanted to fill the Thursday late night room. So it really came out of necessity on a business, um, needing to make some money late night Thursday. And they thought comedy would be a route. And so they, and what's, out what's to, late night, like 11 o'clock. Midnight? It was 11. Yep. 11 o'clock because they have, it's a live music venue that saw their music venues or their music, uh, concerts end and everybody leave. And it's like, how do we keep those people there? You know, so really just a very basic, uh, business problem that they they tried to fill the void on, and they thought comedy would be a route. And I remember it says my buddy Anwar Newton and myself run this week's Sex Tonight, and they came up to him. He's had a good relationship with them over the years, and they said, "What do you think about doing a late night show? Like, uh, you know, something that was kind of, it was really vague. Actually, it was like a late night show. We'll get comics. We'll maybe get comics that are in town to pop in. Blah blah blah, and." I remember that conversation I was there for, and this was like, you know, I don't know what, what time of year it was. It was probably early in the year, like maybe February. And by like two weeks later, after that conversation, with really no commitment, they put us on the calendar, and it was like, damn, they, we got to do a show. And so Anwar hit me up, and he was like, hey, do you want to try to do a late-night show? You'll be my co-host, blah, blah, blah. And it really started out of like – just a whim kind of it didn't really even like it wasn't something that we seek the venue out or anything like that they were like hey put something in this space and through doing it and i don't think that they saw what was going to happen i don't think we we didn't see it either but anwar and myself really started putting this show together it was a late night show it started with like you know some weak powerpoint stuff it um you mind giving us the premise just so everyone can understand has some context on what the show this week sucks tonight is yeah, so this week sucks tonight is kind of a it's a late night show vibe. Um, it we touch on current events, political events, pop culture, heavy pop culture, um, with definitely uh, 
you know, we definitely prefer hip hop over everything. We like to talk about Drake and J. Cole when we can. And um, and so it was the front end of the show is really us covering everything that happened this week. So it, it, I don't love comparing it to Daily Show or John Oliver, but it's a very easy scope for somebody to understand it because it is very different. We we tackle the issues that they cover on that Daily Show, John Oliver, um, you know, countless others. Samantha B has a show. Um you know, Hassan Minaj just started one, but we do it in a way that's very, it's very fuck shit perspective. It's very like, <laughs> it's like he, my Anwar's a black dude. I'm a white dude. So we really play on that. We, we want to cover the race issues. We want to speak truth about the way that racial tension is a real thing in America and the perspective from one person to another, if their race is different is very real. I'm a white dude that takes the hardcore Republican perspective in the show. And in doing that, it's a Colbert-esque perspective, right? When Colbert Report was on. and um, But it's really fun to do that because we were able to bring out, uh, you know, my perspective is, I'm not trying to make fun of conservatives as much as really just speak the truth about what is going on in this country because that's a real perspective. Um, and you go all out too. I mean, you wear the suit and tie. Power tie. Yeah, the power tie. Hundred percent. I'm a big George W. Bush guy. Um, I I kind of believe that maybe 9/11 was an inside job. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> really, really light stuff. And we and, and like for example, one thing that we cover every every single time it happens, and we'll have to cover one this week too. Is it uh, a mass shooting? And we try to make it. We cover it because we have to. And we do really write. We take a level of sincerity in writing it to make sure that there is some humor in it. It's not just. It is dark. It's always going to be dark, but um, that's part of who we are as a country, as America. And so we cover those those tough things too. Yeah, and uh, I think it's a very I th- funny show. I think as a comedian, I've seen the show and it, and it is hilarious. I think as a comedian too, you know, when these terrible things happen, the the media outlets just get swamped with all this negativity, and it can really, you know. It can really put a cloud over your week when that's all that you're seeing online. So I think it is right. it is good to have the the lighter perspective on some of these things and introduce comedy, um, you know, into some of the stories. It's a necessity for sure. And and beyond that, so we do that for like 30, 40 minutes up top. It's me and Anwar just doing that, and then we bring up stand up comics from everywhere, and uh, we stay on stage and we kind of mess with them. And I don't want to call it heckling, but we're definitely on stage. And if they don't tell a good joke. We're breaking it down. And um, it's very funny, too. So on that level, the stand-up is very unique because we we try to critique them in a very real stand-up perspective. Like, you didn't have a punchline there. Like, some people just say premises these days. Comics are always just up there like, what about this crazy premise about me banging my uncle? And it's like, well, there's no punchline. I don't care if you got it. That's a great premise if you got a punchline. Otherwise, you're just saying provocative stuff just to get over people – um, so we, we definitely break them down and hold them in check on the latter end of the show. It's very fun. No, it's great. It is, uh, it is quite a good time. Um, so how do you see the show evolving? Well, you just had a big milestone with the show. So you initially launched the show a couple years back and you've, can you tell us a little bit about some of the, the progress you've made in this like recent, like reinvigoration and relaunch of the show? Yeah, so we've been able to. So we went from a point of necessity for the club to be able to put in a, a show. We took that and ran with it and created one of the hottest shows in Phoenix. Immediately, people really started. There was, it was good word of mouth growth, which is I I think the realest way to grow, regardless of 
social media and all that stuff, I, I think that there's nothing any anything ever better than somebody telling you you have to check this show out. And so we were able to do that in Phoenix really well. Um, on one creative um, um, collaboration was something that I think a lot of people don't find in their life too. We were able to really um, collaborate and and gel off each other really in a in a way that has attracted people to the show too. And so it really took off at Crescent Ballroom to a degree where there was probably like, if we had 80 to a hundred in that room, it was like uncomfortable to sit in that room. And that's the, you know, that's definitely the growth you want. You want to be able to grow from that and make sure people are comfortable watching the show in a live venue. Um, and also there was a lot of different levels of, uh, us filming the show that, uh, we wanted to improve upon. And so the two year anniversary moved from Crescent ballroom to stand up live, which is one of the premier clubs in the country. It's a, it's a great, great club. It's in downtown Phoenix. And, um, it like checks off all the boxes that we needed um, as far as growth. Now that you have this new uh, venue um, and allows you to scale larger, what are some of the other things that you had to scale as it relates to, to filming the show and producing it and kind of growing into that next level of professionalism? Yeah. So there was a point in the show, we were probably like six to nine months along where I remember saying to Anwar, I was like, we're filming a TV show. And we need to start thinking about it like a TV show. And you know, as good as anybody, I know with your knowledge of YouTube and stuff like that, like, you know, I'm not going to wait for NBC, CBS or something to hit me up. Like, if you want to start a TV show, the beautiful thing that's going on right now with technology is you can just start shooting a TV show. So we started with Mevo Plus Pro, and um, it was something that was very beneficial to us early on, and it helped get the show on YouTube and Facebook Live and stuff like that. But there were definitely some things that it capped out on what it was able to do for us. What is that tool specifically? Is that a, a type of camera or is it an app? It's Mevo is a camera and then you'd get an app on your phone and then an app through, you know, also your computer and you'd be able to, the camera, um, the Mevo camera will film the whole thing and then it'll film it through either your, you'll utilize your computer or your phone when shooting it and you can like zoom in on certain aspects of it, right? Like, so as far as it is a flat screen, but then if you wanted to zoom in on just me, you could do that. You could zoom in on Anwar, you could zoom in on just the comic. So it was a little, uh, it's a live streaming, um, setup that allows you to shoot pretty much a, you know, your own little YouTube thing. Got it. Uh, and live stream it. So, and it has like, if you know what a switcher is, which is kind of the switchboard is what you need to be able to control the, uh, the feed and it kind of has that all built in. So it's a really cool product, but it wasn't doing everything that we needed. There was just things that the show needed. We needed to get to a three camera setup and we wanted to live stream it on multiple platforms. Mevo topped out at how many platforms you could put it on. And so what we did was we, I looked into some stuff and I found sling studio and sling studio is really cool. Um, you can film from multiple cameras and they all go through the sling studio um, and then the Sling Studio software is going to be on your uh, computer. And they also give you hardware um, with it, too, that it that provides a, a Wi-Fi connection. So you're going to have that through the Sling Studio. And um, also, you you know, you plug some wires in through that, that hardware, too. And uh, very awesome platform to be able to 
put the show in three camera angles because when you think about a live stream, you want life in the video. And so we're able now to cut from three different camera angles, which really adds a lot of life. And if you're watching it at home, it's not as boring as just that that one angle. So that's really helped a lot. Um, and we're also able to put it on multiple platforms. So with Sling Studio, you're easily able to, with a little bit of money, but it makes sense for the show, uh, you can put it on Periscope, YouTube, Facebook Live, um, and Twitch are the ones that we use, but we could put it on, you know, multiple others too. Gotcha. So you kind of had to step your hardware or step your game up around the board, get a couple more cameras, 100%. invest in Sling Studio. 100%. Um, but then again, that probably helped you expand your reach even farther, you know, and you're producing a better product or, or across the board. Producing a better product. People really like the show. People that have supported me from back in Cincinnati where I grew up and, um, you know, across the country, wherever they live, they're able to tap into seeing what I'm doing on a weekly basis. Um, because I do have reach outside of Phoenix, but also in Phoenix, there are people that miss the show that are able to watch it. So the growth there has been, it's been slow, but one thing we're conscious of is able to consistently make the, make the product better. And if you really, if you already have the, the filming stuff down, um, if the product continues to get better, it's just going to con- continue to grow. And that's what we try to focus on is like we have all the equipment and everything for people to reach it. Now let's just focus on making the show as good as possible um, and continuing to grow it just through that way. Can we talk briefly about, you know, what that uh, what what goes into creating the show? Like, I think a lot of people have this idea that comics are just really funny people. They write down some jokes and they go up and they make people laugh. And it's just like a natural talent. But, I mean, you guys grind hard. I know you've been going at it for years. Can you talk about what that yeah. looks like in your in a, any given week for you just to nail your stand-up performances and to produce this show amongst the other shows that you produce every week? Yeah, so every week um, there's a Google Doc. The nice thing is, you know, I know this is a show about technology. The people that have made technology have helped comedians really um, – grow in a lot of different ways. You know, something as simple as Google Docs, something as simple as Google Hangouts is something we use every week. Um, you know, being able to use PowerPoint or not PowerPoint, um, Adobe Photoshop to be able to edit a lot of stuff down. Um, we use all those things and we, throughout the week, we'll keep an eye on the current events. We'll go Drudge Report, CNN, Yahoo, um, TMZ sometimes, even tap into sports and we see what the hottest news is of the week. And we, myself and Anwar, collaborate on a Google Doc every week, and we kind of crank it out. So it took a long time to get the format of the show down. Um, we sometimes laugh, like even a year ago, we'll look at old doc, docs that we had, and we were the format just didn't make any sense. But we chiseled away what the format is. We understand how to present certain stories before other stories. Um, you know, we're not going to open with the school shooting a lot. You know, but also maybe sometimes we do just to get it out of the way. What Whatever. But um, the Google Doc is something that we collaborate on and really write out big chunks of what our take is. Um, and then that's Wednesday. So we probably spend about four to five hours um, just writing the show and um, creating the front end of the show and maybe some gags within that. And then from that document, we write for pretty much we we write typically for Anwar. He's kind of the straight man. He's the point 
point guard on the uh, on the stage per se, and then a lot of my stuff is kind of off the top. But I know what stories we're gonna take, so sometimes I have a joke in my back pocket. But um, we write that, and then after Wednesday we write it. Anwar is a master of uh, editing video and photos and photoshops, and we create a PowerPoint or Google Slides is actually what we use, um, and create the show through that, the front end of the show. And it has timing hits, you know, like how, you know, John, or not John Stewart, well, John Stewart also, but Trevor Noah has that. There's that joke to be made from the visual aspect of that corner picture, right? And in any news um, comedy show, there's that gag that you can make through timing and the punchline goes and that picture changes to a different picture, which is a joke in itself. We have the capability to do that through our through our slide too, and it takes a lot of writing and prep. But um, that's kind of the process. It usually takes Wednesday four to five hours, all Thursday to edit it down, and uh, throughout the week we're writing as well. And then you do you have other shows as well? I mean, you're hitting some stand up shows. You guys produce like a a wine genuine show. Um, yep. No, I do stand up. Uh, I produce a lot of stand up shows. Um, I do don't tell comedy. If you've ever heard of don't tell comedy, or if you haven't heard, I should say that, then you should look into that. It's a really cool pop up secret shows around the country, and um, I'm producing those here in Phoenix. I do genuine comedy at a genuine uh, Arizona bar in downtown Phoenix. Uh, but when you do shows like this week sucks tonight, and you produce a show to that level. I mean, stand-up shows are easy. That's just booking a lineup, getting your people out, and uh, and having fun with it, which is nice. Because I used to think those were daunting, but now with all the stuff that we've done, you're able to really, you know, not think twice about it, and just just comes a lot easier. That's great. Um, and then you do some touring periodically throughout the year. I mean, I've seen you in New York, San Francisco, um, you know, a couple other Chicago, a couple other markets. Sure. So that's also, I'm sure this, uh, doing this stuff online and social media, I'm sure that's part of that strategy is to help build out your shows when you go to these other markets. Yeah. And I like when I'm doing other shows in mark in other markets, I like to do a little video to advertise it. Um, you can do some targeted marketing on Instagram and Facebook. I sometimes do that. I sometimes don't. Um, but definitely try to make that fun, get that buzz going. I've done a lot of stand up shows and then this week sucks tonight has grown in popularity so much that we've actually been on a couple festivals and in comedy festivals are definitely a good way to network and grow the word of mouth, um, of the show. Um, a lot of times it's beyond the fans. Sometimes if you get all the comics talking about your show, you know, it can really grow pretty quickly too, like wildfire. And so we've been on a couple of festivals and from that other people that run festivals have seen our show. And so this year we're on the Memphis Comedy Festival um, in April, April 4th through 7th. We are um, in the San Diego Comedy Festival, which is in May. And then we are in the uh, Oak City Comedy Festival um, in the end of May and Memorial Day weekend. And then we just got booked up at the Comedy Store in L.A. We're going to do a show in the Belly Room on Easter Sunday. And um, we will also be looking at different cities to grow that show, too, and just take it on the road and show people the beautiful product that we've created here in Phoenix. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, a beautiful product. Indeed it is. Uh, we really appreciate you spending some time with us, but before we go, where can everybody catch you online? Like where can they find you? Yeah. So all my handles from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you can find me at not Mike Turner. So N O T Mike Turner. Um, and then that's my personal stuff. And then this week sucks tonight. You can follow at this week sucks tonight 
on Instagram. Um, and then also thisweeksuckstonight.com is a place where you can find all the social media stuff as well as the link to the live stream and YouTube and all that stuff too. So thisweeksuckstonight.com is a great place to just find everything for that show. Great. I'm sure everybody will uh, will head on over there to get some laughs. But thanks again, Mike. Really appreciate the time. And we look forward to tracking your progress here over the rest of the year. Appreciate you. Oh,